stationary. Y'all know I love to take notes. I love to write. I love to write on paper. I love to write in notebooks. Matt, what'd you give me for Christmas this year? I got you notebooks and pens and organizers. Correct. I love it. Uh, and I find that it genuinely helps me remember things better as opposed to typing them or like putting them on a, like a text file or whatever. Actually writing something down physically helps me a lot. It helps me organize my thoughts. It helps me get my work done. And ever since I got my new uh, iPad and I got the Apple Pencil with it, I have been doing that on there, and that's great. The only problem I've had with it, it doesn't quite feel like writing on paper, which is a feeling I like. We have the solution to that problem. That's right. Paper-like. As I mentioned at the top of the show, it's a screen protector for your iPad. It uses a proprietary technology called nanodots. With those nanodots, you feel the natural resistance of paper on your iPad screen. It is a paper-like feeling on your iPad. So if you're drawing, if you're taking notes, if you're using your iPad like you would a notebook, here's the way for it to really feel natural. And Chris, I know you love that. You you have an iPad, you've got a paper-like and I'm sure it's, it feels just right for you. It does. It feels great to use. Also, Matt, you know I'm very particular about paper. I have yes. specific brands of notebooks that I will and will not use. And paper, like, feels good on the iPad. Uh, they also make accessories for the pencil to make the pencil a little more comfortable to hold. They make uh, accessories to help you clean the iPad as well. They've got it all. The ability to handwrite notes in a digital form is great to begin with, but getting that extra tactile feeling that makes me happy while I do it, <laughs> that gives me that little dopamine, that little serotonin burst that I like to have, is fantastic. The latest version of the Paperlike is manufactured in Switzerland using high-quality plastic foils designed for maximum picture clarity. You're not going to lose any of the definition of your iPad screen if you put a paper-like on there. And these foils are developed exclusively for paper-like products. It also always comes in a set of two, so you have a spare. Look, we know a lot of artists listen to this show. If you're an artist and you're looking for a way to make drawing on your iPad feel a little bit better, this is how you do it. So, to pick up your paper-like, head over to paperlike.com slash Ajax, click Buy Paper-like, and select your iPad size. From now, right now, until the end of January, Paperlike is also including their Digital Pro Planner Bundle at no extra cost for every order placed through the Paperlike store. Plus, shipping is completely free. So if you're ready to do more with your iPad, head over to paperlike.com slash Ajax to get started. Oh, hey, everybody. Let's catch up. My name is Chris Sims. With me, as always, is Mr. Matt Wilson. And this is Comics Catch-Up, the show where we read comics... 
that maybe we started reading and then never finished because we were too busy reading bad comics so we could talk about them on the show. Matt, how are you today? I'm good, Chris. And you have nailed the description of the book we're reading this month in January for Comics Catch-Up because I distinctly remember reading an issue or two of these five. For sure. I, I think I read – I know I read one. I think I read two. I thought I had read one also, but now in hindsight, I believe I only read issue number two and maybe three. That's a weird way to go about it. Yeah, I remember reading issue two and it, maybe I thought it was number one or I don't know what, but feeling quite lost uh, reading that. And I'll talk a little bit more about sort of – why I found this comic a little daunting when it was coming out, when we get into talking about our reading experience this time around. But we're reading uh, Peter Cannon Thunderbolt, numbers one through five, uh, which were released from Dynamite Comics but very recently. I believe it started in 2017. Is that right? I, I'm pretty sure this was a 2019 release. 2019. Okay. Yeah, it's just that... Um... Every day, every week feels like 10 years now. Yep, it started in February 2019. You're yeah. Wow. Uh, why does that feel like a thousand years ago? It uh, was written by Kieran Gillen, uh, a, a pal of the show. He's been on the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, has art by Casper, uh, I think it's just Wingard, uh, who's doing the art here. That's a cool name. It is a cool name. Uh, and it's a great looking book. Uh, Mary Jo Safro and Hassan, who used to write for Comics Alliance, yeah, is doing. I think he does the letters on this, right? Yeah, it's it's a book all about formalism in comics. So it's it's it has to kind of. <laughs> yeah this this book sets off a lot of like it has to dodge a lot of potential criticism by the things it addresses head on. Mm-hmm. And and we'll talk about it that when we we get to that part. Yeah, and it is it's crucially important to talk about uh, letters and colorists and such because every set of characters in here speaks in a different lettering style, which I think is is very interesting. Certainly, every character set of characters from each alternate universe that appears in the yeah. book, and there yeah. are there are three key alternate universes in here. Yes. There's the the universe where the sort of lead character version of Peter Cannon comes from. Mm -hmm. Where it's Peter Cannon and his particular crew of heroes that is with him in this Dynamite book. So it's, it's not the original Charlton characters that he originally appeared with. Right. Then there's the Peter Cannon who's basically Ozymandias. Yeah. There's there's Peter Cannon from Watchmen. Who speaks in Watchmen lettering. And then there's all the characters from the, for lack of a better way of putting it, the Eddie Campbell-averse. Yeah, the Eddie Campbell universe. (laughs) (laughs) Which is a weird one to throw in, I feel like. Yeah, who speak in hand lettering. That it does not appear in actual, like, standard comics word balloons. It's that 
there's a line going to the text out of the character's mouth, and then the text is just there on the page. Yeah. And then in a lot of cases, there's like text at the top of the panel that isn't necessarily in a a caption box. It's just in in that particular section of the top of the panel, every panel. Yeah. Here's here's what I'm going to throw out to you right at the start, Matt. I think okay. I have cr- I, I think I've cracked the code. Right? Every universe here is based on a collaborator of Alan Morse, quite obviously. Uh huh. So I think we've got Earth Campbell. Yep. The Eddie Campbell Earth. Yep. I think we've got uh, Earth Gibbons, which is the Watchman Earth. The Watchman Earth, yeah. And then I think we've got Earth Sprouse, which is the first universe. So you think the first universe is a Chris Sprouse deal? I feel like it might not be because I don't remember what the uh, the lettering is like in Tom Strong, and I, I should go look that up uh, re- real quick. But trying to feel like you know is is this just representing a uh, Kieran Gillen Caspar uh, Wingard Earth, or is it? something else and the feeling of it to me is a tom strong feeling i guess the alternate interpretation is that that peter cannon is supposed to be either charlton peter cannon or dc peter cannon or dynamite peter cannon because he does mention at one point he is like uh i once i once created a dragon and i didn't go back and read the whole thing but i did go and look up the 2012 Peter Cannon series, which I believe was the most recent Peter Cannon series before this one. Which was the Alex Ross thing. The Alex Ross one, which opens with a dragon. So I, I don't know, but it's very stylistically different, of course. Well, here, here's why I found this book to be a little daunting when it was first coming out. Upon rereading it just recently... It, it wasn't as daunting as I believed it might be. But I have a familiarity with a third of the source material of this. Because, obviously, I know Watchmen. But I don't know anything about Peter Cannon, even going back to Charlton. Mm-hmm. Like, I haven't read the previous Dynamite stuff. I've never read any of the DC Peter Cannon stuff. And I've never read any of the Charlton stuff. I don't know how Peter Cannon, the character, how DC lost him. They still have Blue Beetle. Yeah. They still have the other Charlton characters. Why don't they have Peter Cannon anymore? Was there a Peter Cannon in Pax Americana? Because there was a Peacemaker. There was a Peacemaker, yeah. Uh, okay, for for the record, uh, Tom Strong is not lettered like the, uh, like the Peter Cannon like core universe. I feel uh, like I feel like he, that original Peter Cannon, the, the Peter Cannon in the crew that we see in issue 1 is is probably meant to be a continuation of Dynamite Peter Cannon. Maybe, but what okay, here's what struck me, Matt. Because again, the lettering is like really interesting and kind of crucial. It's mixed case. The Earth Gibbons lettering is all caps, like the lettering in Watchmen. And mixed case lettering generally is the ultimate universe. 
It's it's Ultimate Marvel, right? Like that's the bit in in Secret Wars. And I do kind of feel like this feels like Ultimate Charlton, but I don't think that's the bit because I I I feel like that's it would have to be an Alan Moore thing. And I don't know if that is I don't I don't know if it's correct or not. I don't know. Maybe I'm, I'm looking. Maybe I'm trying to make a connection that doesn't exist there. I'm I'm looking at some lettering from the Alex Ross Peter Cannon, and it is all caps. Yeah. Well, no, they're not talking in mixed case. They're talking in all caps. Peter Cannon's in, talking in all caps. Is he? Yeah, and the page I'm looking at right now. Man, he is talking in all caps. There. Somebody talks in mixed case somewhere in here. Well. Oh well. The, the thing that. I find a little bit difficult. Like, so they're all the, I keep calling the other superheroes the crew because I don't know any of these characters. They're not original Charlton characters. No, I, I think they were created for this. By the way, uh, Wikipedia has no information on uh, the why Peter Cannon would not be a DC Comics character right now. Unless it is like, I know that DC did a lot of deals with uh, Dynamite at, at one time. Like there was an, a, a bunch of little crossover stuff. But I mean, he's in Crisis. He had a 12-issue series in the 80s. Uh, okay. In the, in the early 90s. So. I did find one sentence okay. uh, about the ownership of Peter Cannon. So the creator of Peter Cannon... Uh, whose name was Pete Morsey. He named a, a character his own first name. Very cool. Notably. He didn't sell Peter Cannon outright to Charlton. He licensed him to Charlton. Okay. So when DC bought Peter Cannon from Charlton, they didn't buy the character, they bought the license. So then, when the agreement between Charlton and Morsi expired, DC negotiated with uh, Morsi to extend it for a bit. But then DC eventually let the license lapse. And so the Peter Morrissey estate owns Peter Cannon and has licensed the character out to Dynamite. That's complicated. It's complicated. So if DC wanted to do a story with the Charlton characters that inspired Watchmen, they wouldn't be able to use the original inspiration for Ozymandias. Yeah. So I guess there there is no Peter Cannon in Pax Americana, then. There couldn't be. Yeah. There there could be another kind of analog-ish character for him, but they couldn't legally use Peter Cannon. It honestly Honestly, Matt, this is going to sound rude. If there was uh, a Peter Cannon in Pax Americana, it should just be Ozymandias. Probably true. Because he's a character I don't have a ton of familiarity with. I just don't. Yeah, he's, I mean, of all the characters in uh, the Charlton universe, he has always struck me as the one who is nothing. You know? I mean... Was his deal before Watchmen that he was just a super smart guy? Yeah, I mean, like he's very much like an old school mystery man 
sort of character. You know? Yeah. So I like like I said, I had no familiarity with that character at all previous. So I didn't Wait know Wait a second. Wait a second, Matt. What? Let me I have to find an R. I have to find an R in you this have, dialogue. You have to find an R? Is it are, are have you identified the what the lettering is a reference to? I think it might be Pax Americana. <laughs> no shit. Right now I'm looking at Pax Americana and I'm trying to see if if I mean like look, we could just ask Hassan. <laughs> but I I want I'm thrilled by the mystery right now. <laughs> it's it's I'll say the lettering in issue 1 in again, let's call it Earth A. Mhm. Is very kind of like standard. What I would say is standard modern comics lettering. Yes, it's it's modern comics lettering. So it doesn't look all that different, honestly, from the lettering in the Alex Ross Peter Cannon book. Also, you're right. This is not mixed case. I don't know where I got that. Somebody maybe speaks in mixed case. I don't know at some point, but yeah, this is all caps for sure. To to go back to my earlier point. I didn't know if any of these characters who appear, like, they they introduced themselves briefly on, like, the third page of the first issue. Mm-hmm. So you've got uh, Baba Yaga, who's kind of the witchy character. Pyrophorus. Right, Pyrophorus. The, the test. test. The test is the one who, like, l- keeps living and dying all the time. Yeah, and then Nucleon. Nucleon. <sighs> Obviously, Nucleon has a clear analog, and it seems like Pyrophorus is probably a Blue Beetle type. Yeah, he's a he's a, a bug themed techie hero. But they're so not definitely they're not all one to one with Charlton characters. I feel like no, like I mean, Nightshade is not like Baba Yaga. Like, Baba Yaga is a Russian witch who is invested with the power of Baba Yaga by a coven. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is... That's the thing. That's a good idea. <laughs> that's a really good idea. Uh, I would like to see more of that. So, I didn't know if these were some things that were specific to Peter Cannon, or what's happened with Peter Cannon as a dynamite character, or, like, things that have been added into and brought into the character. Which created a little bit of like a barrier for me to like mm-hmm. super get into this because i felt like i wanted to know more about these characters what you do discover though is by the end of issue two none of that really matters <laughs> yeah ultimately like everything we have talked about up to this point does not matter and then the eddie campbell stuff i haven't read any of those any eddie campbell comics either mm-hmm. in fact until we talked to marco stack about it on our episode where we interviewed him i don't know that i would have identified that those as being you know homages to those eddie campbell autobiographical comics (laughs) from the 80s i i they you know struck me immediately as being like ed brubaker autobiographical comics which are extremely similar to like you know alec by Eddie Campbell. Uh-huh. But obviously they're like a clear, clear reference to those Eddie Campbell books. Yeah. Like, to, so, like the guy is called Eddie. Yeah. It. 
So I, I'm coming into this a third of the way there, basically. And it, it made me feel, when this was first coming out, like I wasn't quite... Like there was something I was missing, I guess, mm-hmm. is the best way to put it. And I, I do feel like, though, like we said, ultimately, it doesn't matter. And I feel like one of the reasons is they are very evocative of three specific different kinds of comic. Uh, and it's Watchmen, obviously. Uh, it's the, uh, you know, sort of realistic, grittyish, realistic-ish biocomic about people hanging out at a pub and being mad. And then there's the core story is the post-Watchmen deconstructionist comic. Which, like, whether it's meant to be Tom Strong, whether it's meant to be uh, The Ultimates, like, any, all the things that we, whether it's meant to be Pax Americana, all the things that immediately come to mind for us to compare it to, that's what those are. They're post-Watchmen deconstruction comics. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm looking at the lettering for Pax Americana right now, by the way. It's not the same. I thought it was close. I thought it was close. It's, it's pretty different. It's, it's fine. pretty different. Fine. Be that way. I, I think it is dynamite. Peter Cannon lettering is is what I'm gonna uh, settle on there. Uh, but as as you said, it is very much it's very much a comic about comics. It's very much a comic about comics storytelling, and it's in some ways it's sort of it's not an indictment of, but it's a a criticism, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Of focusing solely on formalism and structure as opposed to emotion and human relationships driving Mm -hmm. stories. Like, that's ultimately why I think the Peter Campbell of this book, not Peter Campbell, Peter Cannon, the Peter Cannon of this book goes to an Eddie Campbell universe Mm -hmm. to kind of learn the value of stories that don't have action driving them, but that are about people and the lives of real people. Mm -hmm. And I I find all that to be like really interesting, really smart. It is weird to read what is essentially a critical essay in the form of a comic story. Yeah. And I do think there's a specific reason why it's Eddie Campbell. And that's because Alec is also on a nine panel grid. Yep, good point. Yeah. Very good point. It it is interesting that to me though. Like it's interesting to me how many of the themes of this book are stated outright. <laughs> like like this level of formalism is dangerous, we could lose some people. Yeah. Uh that when when they actually get into a nine panel grid to travel between dimensions with a with a title. With below a, with them a watchman also. title. Yeah. Yeah. But also, like, you know, there's a line about the dangers of deconstruction or how deconstruction is essentially tired now and played out. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll find the actual line because it's, you know, it's it's pretty on the nose. And I do feel like if, if I have a, a, a top criticism of this book, it's that... 
it's trying to be an adventure story and a critical essay at the same time. And I don't know that, I mean, it, obviously a story can be both of those things. A story can have themes that, that are evident and, and make a point about say storytelling, but this is so it's not under the surface at any point. That was exactly my complaint as well, is that it, it doesn't quite it, – it's good. It's very good is the thing. But I don't think it lands as well at either of those as it could have uh, if it had not been trying to do both at once. Uh, okay, I found the line. Uh, my hope is for nothing. He could not change. See Taboo, the dangers of unrelenting deconstruction. <laughs> Weirdly enough, it feels like the thing that this book is known for most, or that I've seen the most about since it came out, isn't the sort of built-in criticism that's in it, or or the, the sort of academic paper within it, <laughs> but the fact that it's about Peter and Taboo being a couple in it. Yeah. It's about a character relationship. It's about br- bringing these two characters together. And I think where it, it it succeeds best, honestly, is in the sort of character arc of Peter, who at the start feels so constricted and and boxed in by his role as a hero that he can't allow himself to feel the feelings he he obviously does feel for taboo and then by the end of the book he's smashing the walls of a panel so they can be together mm-hmm. that's pretty great honestly yeah that's good the watchman deconstruction stuff is good the best part of this is the the taboo robot on the other world and what he says uh when when uh Peter asks him what happened, you know? That is the most interesting stuff about this to me. I think the point gets a little muddled Mm -hmm. in places, because I feel like the ultimate point of this is Watchmen has been made. We can stop making Watchmen now. Yes. Right? (laughs) Very much so. Yes. But... It's doing that in a comic that apes a lot of the the structure and the storytelling style and the characters of Watchmen. Mm-hmm. And and I know what Gillen is doing with that. I get it. I do. But if the point is let's stop making Watchmen, then do that in a maybe do that in a story that's not like Watchmen. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and I look, Gillen has done that in other stories. I, I I mean maybe it's just part of you know, the assignment was, hey, write a Peter Cannon comic. And this is his setup for maybe future Peter Cannon stories where he doesn't have to answer the Watchmen question. Do you think it is possible? Because he, because here's the thing, I think it's possible. 
I think it's it's expected to do a Blue Beetle story that does not touch on Watchmen at all. Yeah. Uh, I think it is similarly, b- because there was a long run by Carrie Bates in the 80s and 90s, I think you can do a Captain Atom story. I feel like it's much harder to do a question story, particularly with Vic Sage, that doesn't somehow tie back to Watchmen. And I... I, I, I don't know. I, th- I think it's possible. But... Because I think the question has enough... Even Vic Sage question has enough of his own character mm-hmm. to exist separate from Rorschach. I I would tend to agree. However, even the Denny O'Neill question has the Rorschach issue. And I feel like the Denny O'Neill question is kind of the the other thing that always needs to be touched back on. Yeah, but that's just one issue out of how many issues are in that run of the question. There's a lot, but I mean, like, thematically, it is also... I I feel like there's there's something to it. My question that I'm getting to is, do you think it is... Where where do you think Peter Cannon falls on that scale? Do you think it is possible, because he is such a less-known character, do you think it is possible, or even advisable, to do a... Peter Cannon story that doesn't have those bits. Well, I, I'm kind of coming around now in my head of explaining to myself why Gillen and Wingard did this. <laughs> because my feeling is, now again, I haven't read the Alex Ross Peter Cannon, so I don't know if that had a lot of kind of like winky Watchmen stuff in it. Or if it tried to just be a Peter Cannon story, mm-hmm. going back to the the Charlton days, I I, I I have no idea what that story was, but m- my sense is that Gillen, perhaps rightly, felt like the only way to not do Peter Cannon stories that were. Watchmen pastiches, or at least nodded to Watchmen, were to address the issue right up front, get it out of the way, make a statement about it in a five-issue mini, and then the next mini, the next story, doesn't have to do that anymore. And, And that's probably more of a consideration, more of an issue with Peter Cannon than with any other Charlton character. Yeah. Who got represented in Watchmen. You know, we've talked about character-defining stories for good and bad, right? Like, Walt Simonson's Thor is a character-defining story. Identity Crisis is also a character-defining story on Forge. Yeah, for for many characters. Yeah. Sure. Uh, But it's, it's weird to think about, like, there is, even 35 years later this thing that has to be addressed because it is a thing that is still essentially ongoing 35 years later. This came out in 2019. Also the Watchmen TV show came out in 2019. Also Doomsday Clock mostly, I guess, came out in 2019. There is, and Pax Americana was not that long ago either, you know? Yeah. Like what? Four, four or five years ago. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's weird to like, 
it's weird that it's still going on, and I think you're right about the the moral of it being stop, <laughs> please. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's the thing. Like the Watchmen TV show is about making the story structure of Watchmen relevant to 2019, mm-hmm. right? Doomsday Clock is very backwards looking. It's about injecting Watchmen into the DC universe and and sort of marrying them mm-hmm. and and bringing back old stuff from the DC universe in the process. Pax Americana is about hey fuck Alan Moore. <laughs> <laughs> right? Mean, yeah, essentially. This is about we've gone over and over and over and over this story again and again and again for 35 years. We can stop now. Yeah. Yeah. Which, to me, out of all of those messages, it, it maybe resonates the most. It's also, I think, the hardest for someone who has no background with Watchmen, with no background with... Because, look, you know, I'm a guy who talks about comics on a podcast every week. I've read thousands of comics in my life. I feel very comics literate. Mm-hmm. I, I think I am. And even I came into this feeling not fully equipped to read it. Yeah. This is easily the hardest of those Watchmen revisitations for someone to to get on a first read, I think. I do not think you are incorrect. Because plenty of people watch the Watchmen TV show having not read the Watchmen comic and liked it just fine. Yeah. You know? I don't think you could do this with this book. No, I feel like this requires explanation. In a way that the that the TV show does not necessarily like this 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 I mean yeah it requires explanation that's kind of all there is to it. So Chris, here's what I think our conundrum is: the, yeah. the question we have to answer in the act of ranking this story. I think this is a comic that is successful. I think it is successful in doing what it wants to do. But I think it is more successful as a work of comics criticism or comics scholarship than it is as an actual story, than it is as a work of fiction. Yeah, that that does make sense to me. It's, I mean, look, it's uh, Kieran Gillen writing. Casper uh, Wingard, we haven't talked about as much, but the art in this is stellar. It's very good. It's, I think it really starts to shine when it gets to the Eddie Campbell parts, honestly. Yeah, and you can kind of see how much Casper uh, Wingard's doing. Yeah, and Mary Safro, yes. Yeah, because he, he's not, Wingard is not aping anyone in the. In in let's say Universe A or Earth A or let's say Earth W for Earth Watchmen. Uh-huh. 
he he's not aping you know Alex Ross in Earth A and he's not aping Gibbons in Earth W. Yeah. When it gets to the Eddie Campbell parts, it's it's more of a sort of an impression, I guess, of another artist. Mm-hmm. But but it's still clearly a distinct style, even then. Um, so, it, yes, th- that is all to say, it is a very commendable effort on Casper Wingard's part in this. Yeah. Um, of of clearly having to evoke certain other artists without doing a full-on impression of their styles. Uh, he, he does a great job. Yeah, uh, but I, I think the, the base style, I guess, is, is really good. It's, it, is a, it is a style that I quite like, just in general. So, uh, really, really solid stuff as far as the art goes. For, for lack of a better term, I would call it very clean. Yes. It's a um, very clean, crisp, easy to follow, and expressive art style. It's, it's, yeah. it's good. Very Chris Sprousey. Yeah, a little bit. I, I don't like, think I don't think he's doing a Chris Sprouse thing. I think this is probably just his. Yeah, I don't. I don't style either, of it art. Is, it is reminiscent of Sprouse in like I like it in the same way that I really like Chris Sprouse's art. You yeah, know, not not to be uh, too terribly much of a a guy being like, oh, you're just like this other artist, but I do feel like. That's a, being like Chris Brouse is not a bad thing. Absolutely not. So here, here's what I'm thinking, Chris. I guess we should start here as a point of comparison because we have Multiversity Pax Americana at number 17 on our list currently. It is not that good. It is not. I did, yes, I, I, I somewhat dismissively said the point of Pax Americana is fuck Alan Moore, <laughs> which I do think is true. I also think that is true. That said, Pax Americana, I think, does a better job of simultaneously being a work of comics criticism and a story in its own right. I, I'm, I'm with you on that one. Yeah. But I think this is also very good. I, I just... It's not going to go up here in the number 17 range. Uh, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I don't think it's as bad as Doomsday Clock. No, which we have not ranked. Uh, <laughs> not ranked at this point. Uh, we'll, yeah, we'll get there. But that leaves a vast universe of space uh, between basically the very top of the list and what will be near the bottom of the list so we got to find a spot somewhere in that middle for this is there anything else we have that is like a this kind of deconstructionist work that springs to mind i i think there are other stories that i that address comics tropes while also trying to be adventure or romance stories in their own right i mean Mm -hmm. Anything from Astro City would fit that category. That's that's a good thought. Um, I d- doing what we do sometimes and just kind of going by the hundreds and fifties. I think this is better than Hellblazer Hard Time, 
which I do not care for generally. I don't know how that's at 600, but uh, I think it's better than that. 550 is Empire of Chairs, which is Doom Patrol number 63. I don't necessarily think it's better than that. What's at 500? 500 is the Threatening 3 origin. That's really good. Yeah, we threes at five eighteen. This probably isn't better than we three. Okay, so we're looking below five fifty. Yes, because I, I think it's still like it's still worth reading. You know for sure, like it's still good. Yeah. Uh the the art is stellar. The lettering is stellar. The coloring is stellar. Uh the and it makes a very think, good point. Yeah the 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 writing is by no means bad. Yeah, I think. One of the bigger failings of this book, and I mean, I don't know if it's part of the intent of it at all. I didn't know who those other superhero characters were at the start. And by the end of it, like I said, they end up just not really even mattering at all. Mm -hmm. Like, I never got to know them. And they never felt like they mattered to me. Yeah. Which, you know... I, it doesn't seem like the point of the story was to make them matter. But in that case, they just seem like... They seem almost weirdly unnecessary. Like, why doesn't Peter Cannon just go by himself <laughs> to the other Peter Cannon's universe? Well, I think there have to be some kind of stakes. Like they, But they are there to establish stakes, They're, not yeah. necessarily to be a character, which is why they are archetypes, They're there, They're there to die. Yeah. Like characters in a horror movie, kind of. Yeah. Well, okay. I mean, I think this might be better than... I was going to say it might be better than Jonah Covers the Waterfront, but My Uncle, My Enemy is at number 560. It is not better than My Uncle, My Enemy. Hot take. Okay. I think it is better than the very first Miles Morales story from Ultimate Fallout number four. Mm Mm-hmm. You can say whether it's better than the feud between Batman and Superman from World's Finest 143. Uh, I would say no, because that shit rules. While we're in this neighborhood, though, I do think it is worth saying that I I feel like this is weirdly comparable to Nimona, which is also a story playing with genre tropes. Uh, and, and not necessarily deconstructing them, but definitely commenting on the nature of those tropes and the stories they lead to. Where is so, Nimona on the list? It's at 566. It's right around this neighborhood. Okay. Uh, oh, but, oh, I, here's the I, here's one I think we got to ask about. Animal Man, where Buddy meets Grant. Can I be real with you, Matt? Can I get, like, real close up on the mic and talk to you for a second? Get super close up on the mic. I like that story and concept more than I like it in execution. I, well, I think that's somewhat true of this, too, though, right? I think I also think that's somewhat true of this. I again, by no means are either of these bad stories. I j- the weird thing about it is every time I think about that story, what I think about is Grant Morrison's weird boots. Because <laughs> Matt, what's up with those fucked up boots he's wearing? Well, uh, all right, I I do think the story where Buddy meets Grant is more self indulgent than this is. E- I yeah yeah because Ke- Kieran Gillen doesn't show up and talk about his cat that he had. Right, Karen Gillan is 
is is doing academic work. I don't know what any other way to say it. It's it's scholarship. It's yeah. It's this comparison of different storytelling styles in comics through a comic itself, mm-hmm. which is more than just inserting yourself into a comic book. All right, let's put Peter Cannon Thunderbolt numbers one through five, published in twenty nineteen. At the new number 562 on the list, above Ultimate Fallout number 4, pages 14 through 20. I love that there's a comma. Hey, did you notice that there's a weird typo in this, by the way? What's the weird typo? I don't think, I'm, I, don't think I noticed it, no. It's a your-your error. Oh, I did notice that, actually. And I stared at it, because I was like, is, is this on purpose? Is this, is this meant to be here? Well, I think if you are going to have a typo in a comic, that is the reaction you want to have, right? Yeah. <laughs> you want people to wonder, is that supposed to be like that? But what does it mean? Yeah. Uh, also, I would love it if Dynamite uh, and Kieran Gillen and Casper Wingard did more stories about Baba Yaga, the Russian superhero who has Baba Yaga powers. That may be one of the, like... The biggest missed opportunities of this book, I think, is that those characters were just cannon fodder. When Peter actually, cannon fodder that is. Haha. When actually they're pretty good ideas, you know? Like, I guess the test can come back, right? Mm-hmm. And, well, I guess all of these characters could come back because one of the conversations that Peter Cannon has with Taboo in the last issue is about all the replacements. For all the dead heroes, mm-hmm. you know, like, like there's going to be a new the test because he dies and comes back all the time. Yeah, the 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 group of people that chooses the Baba Yaga will choose a new Baba Yaga. Uh, and I think there's a mention of a couple others too. Like, these characters aren't necessarily gone, even if those versions of the characters aren't there anymore. Yeah, like, uh, yeah, a new su- Supreme Justice. Uh, I must report his courage to his family. I have the last brain readings of Pyrophorus. I'm sure he was working on some AI system, and perhaps something of his genius can be recovered. Like, the door is open to all of those characters coming back at some point. Yeah, which I do feel like is also a commentary on on superhero stories, right? Because if everybody just comes back, then what does it matter? Does it even matter that they died? If there's just going to be a new one? Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, the, the test as a character is a commentary on that. Because his whole deal is like, not only does he die all the time, he comes back not knowing anything. So he has to have things explained to him all the time. Which is... Give opens the door for constant exposition. Yes. This is a smart comic book, Chris. It's no, it's like that's the mid 500s might not sound like a uh, super high position, but it is. Don't worry. Yeah, I mean, we have almost 1,050 comics on the list. This is kind of the middle of the list, which is not a bad place to be at all. Yeah. Considering the comics don't get bad until like, like the comics don't get bad to like 800 like, below that even yeah. uh, like the low 800s, honestly, 
there there are probably 750 good comics, 100 mediocre comics, and 150 bad comics on here. Yeah. So 900 is Wonder Woman decides not to date Batman, and that's just a perfectly mediocre story. A, a mediocre story with bad implications. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we caught up on Peter Cannon Thunderbolt uh, this month. Uh, we hope you enjoyed listening to us talk about it. I know from my perspective, it's one of the books that I feel the least coming in. I felt the least prepared to talk about, mm-hmm. but I think we worked some stuff out. I still don't know shit about Peter Cannon, the character <laughs> dating back to the Charlton days, but right. Cause I feel like this was a, this ultimately was a story about Ozymandias, not Peter Cannon, but I, I think we did work out some some good theories and ideas about what this book was. If you would like to recommend a book for us to put on our next comics catch-up poll, which I already have some contenders for for February, uh, send us an email at warrocketpodcast at gmail.com or tweet at me at the Matt D. Wilson. Chris is on there at the ISB on the bad website. You can Check out our website at warrocketajax.com. That'll take you to our Libsyn page. Also, our Tumblr, warrocketpodcast.tumblr.com. You could send suggestions for Comics Catch up there. Send us a question, whatever you want to do. Also, if you like this and everything else we do, uh, you could always help us out on Patreon, patreon.com slash warrocketajax. And Chris, I think that's going to wrap us up for January Comics Catch up. It was a good to catch up. Matt, it was good to catch up. And we'll see you next month. Catch you later. That's a good one, right? It's real good. (laughs) 